Okay, guys. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. I'm recording this on the day after Thanksgiving uh, because I had to like quick run to my office because I forgot something that I needed. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is actually a perfect time to record because no one is here. Um, I'm excited because I have two interviews I'm scheduling with two teachers who are, are willing to be on the podcast. And so I'm pumped about that. So the first interviews where someone else tells a teaching story are coming up. But um, before that, I kind of, if I'm honest, I have this list of all these different um, things that or teaching stories that I want to tell. And like originally I thought it was a book or something, but then I got to thinking about it and I was like, no, actually they're just like stories. They're the type of stories that a teacher might, you know, tell a friend during her plan period or in the hall, like, hey, come here, you're not going to believe what happened or um, the type of story you kind of lay in bed at night after a teaching day thinking about like, oh yeah, that really happened. And so I have this list of stories and if I'm honest, I don't know how long each of them will take or, you know, how much I should plan out what I'm going to say. But so here's my first quote. This is by, I think you say it, Piero Ferrucci, which sounds like spaghetti of some sort. Anyway, Piero says, in the hidden folds of our life, we can find forgotten or unsuspected treasures, which we have not appreciated for want of time or attention. If we are distracted, we will miss them. If we notice them, we are happier. I, when I think of teaching stories, it's like uh, I picture me and my stack of folders and grades rolling teacher chairs down the hallway to the gym for parent-teacher conferences <laughs> because we don't want to sit on those folding chairs the whole time. Um, and I also picture these students that we have. And there's a class, which shall remain nameless, that I've taught that in my mind is the class where like 20 minutes with this class is equal to five hours with any other class. Because when they would leave, I would feel as if I had both run a physical marathon and been convinced at least 20 times in a row that I was insane because I felt insane. <laughs> they would leave and I would look around and and just every time it's like my hair was like, whoosh, you know, what, what has even just happened? <laughs> and so I, like, I have my doctorate in this stuff. I'm supposed to know how to do it. And yet this group of, uh, you know, 16 or 20, uh, I'm not even sure what grade it was, but they were elementary class for sure. I'll try and be ambiguous so they aren't incriminated. But when they would leave, I would just look at myself in the mirror and be like, are you kidding, Evie? Like, <laughs> this is what you want to do with your life? Because every time they would leave, I would feel like I am the worst teacher that has ever lived. <laughs> and then I, I was only at that point having them for like short period of time, like 20 minutes. And I would send them back to the teacher who had them for like, six hours of the day and every time they would leave I'm not Catholic but I would like want to cross myself and and send a blessing their way that go with God dear one because these children are going to suck your soul dry it's like a death eater do you ever feel okay 
<laughs> do you ever feel like students are like a de- death eater? Is that a bad comparison? That like, you know, that Dementors kiss in Harry Potter, where it just is like, <gasps> like, you get to the end of the day, and you're like, well, that just sucked my soul dry. And Okay, I digress. I, I was going to refrain from saying how hard this is. But as I start this podcast, that class comes to mind um, as just this group of humans that it's like a casserole or chicken noodle soup where like they don't really know what it is about chicken noodle soup that makes you get better when you're sick. It's like this unique amalgamation of these ingredients creates magic. And I think the inverse can be true with students that if you get like the perfect anti-chicken noodle class that they can in fact like strike fear into the hearts of the sweetest (laughs) kindest teachers in the world okay again there I go very negative Evie sorry sorry um Okay, this the story I want to tell, seriously, I'm just getting to it, is uh, from early on in my teaching career because I got somehow in charge of doing newspaper and for my class and everybody in the class were girls or everyone in the class was a, was a young high school girl. And when I came in, this newspaper was like a well-oiled machine and I was in a lot of ways just like sitting there taking it in, trying to not screw up the beauty of this machine where some of the gals were editors and some of the gals were writers and some of the gals were photographers and they knew how to check out the equipment and they knew how to do the printing and get the things to Justin's and and I was honestly a little overwhelmed and also like trying to pretend a bit that I was in control of that newspaper room because yes, I I had been actually the editor of my college newspaper. So I mean, I knew some stuff, but I had never other than in high school doing maybe two two-page spreads, never really been in charge of yearbook stuff. And so there was some definite pretending going on. Um but I have two memories uh, from that class. And one is, you know, I'm a young teacher. I don't have kids at that point. And so I can stay late after school. And these two editors I had were just phenomenal young women, just like very smart and very creative and very cool. And they collaborated in a way that I had never really seen where they would just like, it was like improv where they would bounce ideas off each other and we stayed late one night in the, um, I guess you would call it the journalism classroom, the lab, and they just like started getting idea after idea about what our theme could be for the yearbook. And I just kind of sat back and watched the creativity bounce out of them. And I just kept trying to ask questions. But at the end of that night, they were both super pumped about their yearbook theme And it was definitely something they had come up with. And it was definitely something that they were jazzed about and they were going to tell the other students about. And I, from that point on, started thinking a little bit less about teaching as me being this like, da-da-da, expert on high. You know, I'm going to pour my wonderful knowledge into your empty receptacle brains <laughs> and and started thinking about it more as I'm going to create a space for you to 
to do the stuff that you would naturally do. Like if you are around young people, I mean really young people, like toddlers, uh, for any amount of time, you will notice that they learn organically. It's like a magnet. Like they see a bug, they're curious about a bug. Then they want to read a book about a bug. And then they want to talk about the bug. And there's just this innate human curiosity around things that are actually interesting. And I believe, rather insanely, uh, cite the aforementioned Death Eater class, that if, if we can like create some spaces within all these structures at school that that something is at play that in the minds and the hearts of these students and in these physical school spaces that will that learning will happen sort of organically and okay I know people that have built this beautiful assessment system um, would disagree they would say that you know that sounds utopian and crazy. And I just, I agree that you've got to have some structure to it. I'm not like arguing for this like free form, let's let them run through the woods and like somehow become these feral learners. I'm not totally advocating for that, but I am advocating that we have some sort of structure and space. And so I want to say one other story about that. Um, One of these two gals that were that were editors my first year working on that yearbook she was really good at getting things done and really good at doing things well and I honestly sometimes didn't know what to do with her because it, it she's like that kid where it's like okay we did the lesson plan now what you know and she's chomping at the bit and so One day, I'll always remember this day, I think it was maybe my first or even second year teaching ever, where I I didn't know what to do with her. And I'm not really sure why I did this, but I just said to her, good job. You know, she, she had done the structure. She had done the assignment for the day. And I said to her, make something cool. You've got an hour, you know, because she had, they were doing a unit that was more than one day. And so it was like she literally had the whole class period. And I, my assignment to her was to make something, make something cool. And even as I said it, I'm like, what am I doing? You know, this is not what they taught me at teacher school. I should have some purposeful objective and I should know where the lesson is going to go before the lesson starts because that's how you drive the teaching bus. But what happened that day, I think, has impacted my entire teaching journey because uh, this amazing young woman uh, kind of went out of the room quickly. Like she had a plan. She went to the art room and she painted her hands. And so her hands were covered with like these different rainbow colored splotches on the top palms of her hand. And then she came back and she was like a techie kid too. So she set up her awesome camera. So it was facing her and then like put her colorful hands sort of on her face. I mean, you could still see her eyes, but she... I guess I actually have this picture in my office, so I'm turning around to look at it. She like, it's like she's got, like she's kind of doing peace signs with her both hands and those peace sign, the sort of like the angle of them are in her eyes. Um, So her eyes are sort of peeking through her hands and she took all these pictures of herself, 
uploaded the photos to Photoshop. And then back then, you didn't have all these AI tools. She like lassoed around everything but her hands and took out the color. And so her face, her hair, everything is black and white. And then here are these vibrant, beautiful, splotchy rainbow hands on her face. And and I don't know what the objective of that lesson was, but I definitely feel like I was the learner and she was the teacher because at the end of that day, I had this work of art um, from this student that I still have today. And I got to brag on that young lady, not in any way because of me, but because of herself and who she was. Now she is, she has a photography business. She's wildly successful. Um doing the awesome arty stuff that she was like, it was just burgeoning in her back then. And I think it's like, I take two lessons away from this. So if we go back to those beginning quotes, like what is it that I'm noticing um, that's going to make me happier as a teacher? I'm noticing that sometimes, not always, but when I get out of the way, when I create a structure and a space in my lesson, that the space isn't nothing, that something comes out of the nothing, that if I can slow down enough or like whittle my day out enough to have some space in it, that cool things happen and you can actually kind of trust that. Like in improv, one of the first improv exercises they have you do is called the box. So like right now I'm going to do it with you on the podcast. So you imagine you have a little like let's say six inch square box in front of you and there is something in it. And so I just want you to imagine what is in the box. And when you do this with improv groups, of course, some people are like silly, but people have all different kinds of things that they imagine being in the box. But the lesson of it is that there's always something in the box. And I dare to think that as long as you have a teacher who's there to show love and care and education to kids and a group of kids together, as long as it's not like a Death Eater class, <laughs> that there will be something in the box, that something will grow out of that day, sometimes even in spite of us. So yes, let's have a plan, let's have a structure. But what would it look like to also have a space in our teaching day? And what would it look like to trust that something will fill in that space that at the end of the day leaves us going, huh, that's way cooler than I could have ever planned or architected. Um, and yet there's part of us that just in creating the space is the architect. Like that picture that I have in my office of the student with the beautiful rainbow colored hands, um, I'm so proud of her for being creative and impulsive and like meshing her techie and her artistic skills together. But I'm also like proud of me when I look at it, that I had the courage and the grace to say, actually, you know, maybe I don't know better every minute what this kid needs, that sometimes the kids know. And there's like a great freedom and also something that like paralyzes our egos in that because especially as a new teacher, we're like, we're just trying to, you know, that imposter syndrome is legit, that it's like, I'm putting on this face that I know what I'm doing, even when a lot of the time 
those kids are just whirling in, making us feel a little off balance that we can never fully feel like we we have arrived. Certainly you get more teacher confidence, but there's always this sense of like wobble in any classroom that there's this this sense of both being really present and also getting out of the way for what's going to happen because of us and what's going to happen in spite of us. Um, so cheers to that. And cheers to just surviving that Death Eater class if you have it right now. Um, but cheers to creating structures and space and seeing what happens and trusting that there's always something in the box. Thanks, guys.